Stephen, what do I have to do now? Can't I just go back to the trailer? Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real Guys. That's it. That's the that's the name of the podcast. It's right there. I'm Chance. You're just gonna do the first name this time? Yeah, you know. Do you you want to give full names every time? This isn't. I feel like you you typically do full names. So I feel like this is weird that you're just suddenly going casual. It's not people's court. Go casual with me. Okay, and I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, buddy? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, it's uh, it's Book Expo America here in New York City. So, uh, as a person working in the book publishing industry, it's been a, a week of debauchery, and we're only halfway through. So. But good? I'm, uh, You're happy? I'm feeling pretty good about it. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. How about you? What have you, uh, what's, what's new with you, buddy? Nebraska repealed the death penalty today, officially. So that was actually kind that's, of, it was a kind of huge day. That's amazing. Ernie Chambers, I tell you. He was great, man. I tell you what hasn't repealed the death penalty. It was the selection of movies that we picked for this week, because... <laughs> Well done. Oh man. Um That's that's in the in the radio, in the podcast game what we call a segue. That was great. Um uh, you mean because of how much death there is? I do want to make sure I'm following you. Well, it's like two movies with like a fair amount of death and then one movie that made me want to fucking kill myself. <laughs> because there's no new ideas under the sun. This week uh we discussed a trio of what we're calling unnecessary sequels well, made I feel like I feel like you need to qualify that with seemingly unnecessary sequels to movies made like a million sure. fucking years ago. Sure. Let's say narratively unnecessary. Um narratively unnecessary sequels made a fucking million years after the original movie upon which the sequel is based, was yeah. released. Two to three decades. Um, yeah, it's and, at least 20 years. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the three movies are, if you're fine going there, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, our, our contemporarily relevant uh, movie this week is Mad Max Fury Road, which is still in theaters, presumably, depending on how fast Chance edits this podcast. It'll be soon, so it will be. And Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I can't even get through the title without snickering a little bit. Um, a movie is... <laughs> under which our original conceit would have been considered like contemporarily relevant. <laughs> Yep, but we're changing it up a little bit. Um, that came out in 2008. And then The Color of Money, which is the 1986 sequel to the modern classic The Hustler. That's Paul Newman playing pool. I, a seemingly weird choice for the third, uh, you know, third role in our category here. But it's a movie that I've never seen and felt like watching because I'm a big Scorsese fan. Yeah, me too. For those of you out there who have seen most of Scorsese's you know, mainstream and even like a little bit offbeat work. This is a pretty deep cut. So 
I felt like it was necessary to throw on there. So if you're thinking, what's with that third choice? That's the reason. Did I tell you my funny little anecdote about uh, Mad Max, Chance? No. Let's start with that one. So tell me the anecdote. So I'm walking into Mad Max Fury Road a couple weeks ago, and who's walking in or, like, sort of hanging by the door in the uh, AMC East Village, the 12, uh, over there on 3rd Avenue and 12th Street, is none other than Dawson's Creek's uh, Joshua Jackson. (laughs) Just chilling out, like, in the lobby. So I go up to Joshua Jackson, and I, like, I understand Joshua Jackson probably, like, eats a lot of shit because, like, he was pacey on Dawson's Creek. So I'm just, I'm going in pretty cool, and I'm just like, Joshua Jackson, I gotta tell you, man, I don't mean to bother you, but Dawson's Creek meant a lot to me. And he's like, thanks, man. And we shook hands, and I, like, looked him in the eye, and we, like, had a real moment, and then, like, we didn't speak for the rest of the movie. And he sat pretty close to me because I think he thought... This guy's all right. Oh, my. Well, congratulations. I just looked up a picture of that guy. I don't think I've ever seen his face in my entire life. Um, Oh, come on. You must have, like, a general, like, cultural knowledge of who Joshua Jackson is. I mean, I'm looking at... He was in Mighty Ducks, our next week's category. Absolutely not. (laughs) Um... No, I don't know what I want to start are. a I want to start a Twitter poll, which brings me to everyone should follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys. Yeah. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I mostly will handle the concerns. Yeah, I Chance d- will handle Chance will handle the comments and questions. Thanks, I can't do but concerns you can, now. But you can email us at berealguys at gmail dot com. But anyway, I want to do a Twitter poll if we should do. Um, oh. All three Mighty Ducks no, movies, like don't as do that. I think that I give the people what they want. You just like, get mad because I won't like any of them. No, what I need you to do is drink a couple of beers, like return to a, like a, a happy, safe space from your childhood, and like just watch all three of them like right in a row. And you can't tell me that like you don't think those movies are worth something. Should we forge ahead? <laughs> Let's get into it. All right, we're doing Mad Max. Where are we going to start? Are we going to start with Mad Max? I think we should do that. I think that would be the smart thing. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living (laughs) and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. All right, so I challenge you, Chance, to synopsize this movie in a way that sounds sensical. Go. Alrighty, uh, 2015 sequel to the George Miller uh, late 70s and early to mid 80s Mad Max trio. And that old, that old battle axe came back to direct the new one, too. Yes, he did. Um, about uh, post-apocalyptic life in the Australian outback. Uh, and this one stars Tom Hardy. In the titular role, replacing uh, replacing Mel Gibson. Um, oh man! And now the synopsis. So, but this one is like more post-apocalyptic, especially in premise, than any of the ones that preceded. And the Hugh Keensburn plays this guy Immortan Joe, who's in some of the other ones, but in this one he's like a demigod who controls all of the water. Uh, in the whatever 
uh, Australian realm, yeah. which has been like. My li- question is this at this point. <laughs> okay. How much money do you think they saved by simply reusing John Travolta's costume from Battlefield Earth on this particular villain? Um, I don't know. How much is uh, museum fare into some of the lesser Hollywood uh, studio exhibitions? But didn't he look like a surprising amount like... Yes. So Mad Max is a cop who's been, like, taken prisoner yeah but that has nothing to do with the movie oh though. my god i don't know where to start should i just start chronologically basically the entire movie is a road chase across the outback as charlie's theron who plays a military commander in the army of the crazy oppressive demigod takes his wives who he you know ostensibly rapes and uses to create new soldiers. She's she's whisking them away um, to a sort of utopia in this horrible nuclear holocaust desert, and there is a whole army chasing her, and Max gets swept up in this. How was that? Yeah, that seems fine. That seems like a good place to jump off from. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, what I love about this movie is basically the whole exposition is... Chance and I have we've discussed this topic at length, and tell me if you agree here, buddy. Yeah. But I feel like the exposition on this one is definitely like the definition of shining a light. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. Or it's like let's let's cram as much like sort of flashy shit, like just plot driven stuff we can throw in there, like as quickly as possible to confuse the person watching the movie into thinking like, oh yeah, his wife and kid are dead and like there's some tunnels or something and now he's like chained up by the guy from About a Boy. Like, well, fine. And then like the movie unfolds from there. Yeah. I think it uh, relishes in giving a very noticeable lack of background on anyone. And considering... Yeah, basically all you need to know in the movie is that, like, Tom Hardy's got PTSD from losing his, like, nuclear family, and... The story is not the best part of this movie. And it's, I think, it, and it's actually, I mean, all backstory is neglected in a very intentional way on the way to what I think are some really compelling and gripping action sequences. Right. This movie is like, it's just, I mean, it's basically if you told a child to make a movie and gave him like all the money in the world, like this is basically what you'd have. Correct (laughs) me if I'm wrong. Okay. So I think, I don't want to be too dismissive, though, because I also think its lack, its complete lack of regard for backstory also helps it spring into action immediately. Uh, oh, don't misunderstand me. I think this movie is brilliant, but <laughs> okay, I just want to, like, I just want to establish a certain baseline for, like, sure. how much it overcomes to be brilliant. <laughs> it's true. My favorite thing about this movie, I mean, and obviously anyone who hasn't been under a rock um, knows that it's been um, praised by a lot of people and criticized by some truly horrible people um, for being like a good feminist action movie. My favorite thing about that in terms of the text itself is actually that we don't have to deal with any of Max's bullshit, right? Other than the fact that we get these routine... 
you know, flashbacks to his daughter being run down by a caravan of warlord tanks. But but even his PTSD is, like, pretty incidental. Yeah, it's not an origin story, which is really, really refreshing. It's an anti-origin story in a way. We are not things. We are not things. Where is she taking them? Did you have the moment when you were watching this movie, Chance, where you were, like, sort of really mad at it for being this way? And then you just sort of, like, I feel like at the seven-minute mark, I just, like, gave up and then started enjoying the movie. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think at first I was just like, this is, like, how stylized are we about to be here? Or, like, how right. how mock of a B movie are we going to be on an A movie budget? But by the time right. you get the sequence of him running through the catacombs and ending up on the on the outside and realizing that Max is trapped in their lair, I was just all in when the fucking title card just came over. Oh, I saw it in 3D, so fucking, like, the title card Mad Max, like, comes in over your, like, right shoulder and, like, flies at the screen and, like, explodes. It's great. So let's talk action sequences. What was the best one in 3D? Oof tough to say i mean like there's a scene where they're trying to get through like a very narrow ridge and like a canyon thing Mm -hmm. and like just the the perspective on that like are they gonna make it pretty harrowing like pretty great and i think you bring up a really good point um because i've sort of i've had to remind myself jumping off jumping off that that um that the the best parts of this movie are truly the experience of being in the theater. You know, a couple days after I was there, I was just like, you know, I don't. I was questioning some of the directing and questioning some of the writing, and I was just like, just remind yourself what it was like to be in the chair. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Do you want to talk performances? Because I felt that Charlize. Well, can we address the fact that what I think is so fascinating about this movie, and this gets into performances is the fact Tom Hardy, the titular character, is like a like a peripheral character in this movie at best. He is not the emotional core that we are meant to relate to at all. That is Charlize and Holt, completely. Well, that's like the challenge of the movie, too. And tell me who you thought the protagonist of this film was. I, it's Charlize. It's Furiosa. But Charlize has the most at stake emotionally, which is why she very clearly feels like the protagonist. Um, I felt really happy yeah. about this movie. Cause when we talked about Prometheus, I was like, Prometheus should be this sort of like, uh, a movie with a woman in the main action kind of heart and soul role of it. But I wasn't sure that she could have pulled that off in that movie. Um, but this was, a, this was a great example. She gets to be the broad shouldered badass, And yeah. she also gets to be the person who, I don't want to say maternal, but she's shouldering a kind of leadership responsibility because she's the person in this desolate, nihilistic world who's held on to hope for the longest, and she has promised these wives that there is hope in this world and basically kind of coaxed them into believing it. Spoiler alert, the theme of this movie is that give up hope, all ye who enter here. Yeah, give it up quick. Give it up quick and get a big gun. 
Did you have an existential moment at when you like left the theater like I did? Like I left the theater and I was in the middle of Manhattan and like I was walking around like looking at these people like it was a Friday afternoon and people were like smiling. They were like ready for the weekend to begin. And I like just wanted to shake them and be like, don't you understand? It's all in vain. <laughs> like, I, I was a little unsatisfied by the end, but say more because like I didn't quite have that moment. You talked about how you I felt had, extremely bleak. I had like bleak. a pretty dark, yeah, I had a pretty bleak existential moment like after walking out this theater. Like I didn't even try to say hi to, or like wave goodbye to Joshua Jackson. Like <laughs> I immediately like went out the double doors into the street on 12th Street there and was just like, what the fuck happened there, man? I was a little bit queasy. Like I was a little bit like, I was, it, it, it rung my bell, so to speak. Sure. Right. I would say that especially what I found probably maybe be the most unsettling sequence of the film is where they're going through the dark and the mud and the guy's chasing them and he's blinded and shooting things at them. That reminded me of the feeling I get watching game of Thrones for the last like right. couple of years. And when you're talking about world building where you're like truly like not worried is not even the right word, but just like scared for yourself about having to watch what might well, happen to the characters. So, That's yeah. Yeah. They're so bereft of like humanity that like, totally it's, it's like they have these weird sort of like dramatic moments that like that you and I will never understand. Like, right. Oh, Hey man, you just got blinded. Cause like some dude just exploded this thing in front of your car. Cause you're chasing somebody through like an Australian desert and society doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like that's, that's not a position that I'm probably ever going to be in. Yeah. And I don't mean to stick, I guess I do. I do mean to stick a little bit of like, um, criticism of the criticism around the film into it. But while I, while I like the fact, I love the change-up and the refreshment and the textual progressiveness of having Charlize and the women be so central to the movie, I find a lot of the debate around the feminism to be about whether how good of feminism it is to be kind of empty because this movie doesn't really care about people that much i thought right now i feel like the and if i can be so bold like i didn't read this movie like as a feminist movie like it i don't think it cares that much about like what you think about it that it would ever take a political stance right so like i don't understand that criticism of it because or that read of it because i just don't think like not only does it not give a damn about the people it's portraying it also doesn't give a damn about like what you or i think about it like yeah. george miller somehow conned a huge studio into giving him like a shit ton of money and then he made exactly the movie he wanted to without compromising like even a little bit and here it is and he doesn't give a shit like if you think it like speaks to like contemporary feminism he doesn't care that like sure the title character is really not in it that much like he just wanted to blow shit up and show like a one-armed woman kick some ass yeah i mean i think his goals are very pure and that's what's really sort of nice about this movie mm -hmm. like, he didn't go out to make like a political action movie he just like made something that he thought like would be cool <laughs> yeah and 
But like I'm, and I'm interested to hear what your review is. But that's kind of the reason that I think it actually might be a good movie, is because it doesn't subscribe to any of the action movie conventions. So it's able to be an action movie, but not be like terrible. Yeah. Right. And I'll. Yeah. Exactly. I think. I think it is good. So, good. I think it is good. Well, you, good. If you, you think it's good. Good. If you take it for what it is, I believe so. I think it's good, good. Like, it definitely borders on good, bad. I think, like, some of it's just, like, just, I wouldn't want to watch it, like, 20 times in a row. Yep, for sure. But, like, I think it's definitely, it lands on good, good for me. But, like, the needle, like, flipped for a moment into into good, bad. Yes, exactly. Yeah, if you can, when, coming out of the theater, you did not want to watch this again right now, did you? No, I wanted to, like, go home and just curl up into a ball it was hard to know who was more crazy me or everyone else what do you want to do next buddy well i want to talk a little bit about like the genres we picked Mm -hmm. so do you think this movie like is well, A, my two questions really surrounding the genre we picked are, do you think this movie is, like, a legit sequel? And B, do you think it was, like, a good or bad sequel in the context of... And I'm assuming you've seen at least the original Mad Max, if not all three of them. Well, so Mad Max is the biggest gap between Beyond Thunderdome and Fury Road, uh, a, full 30, right. a full 30 years. And... I don't know if natural resting place is right because there's nothing particularly natural about the narrative movements of this, right. of this movie. But I feel like it, it, it hits a denouement, if you will. I, th- I felt that this... I basically, for my big question is like, for all these movies, is like, was it worth it? Like, you're, right. you're going back into the well on ideas that people know are old for all three of right. them. And like, was it worth it? And for this one, I think... It's totally worth it because you've See, sort of. I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with you. Okay. Well, but like, continue your thought. It's what I it's it's what I said before. I felt that the sort of like, the new aesthetic between the money that it obviously took the 150 million dollar budget to pull this off, right, and the fact that everything felt so sped up and vital in like a pounding pulse kind of way, which is not i don't think that's not how the 80s movies feel to me those play on the desolation a lot more um right made it feel worth it it was like a spin-off with a new person's vision even though somehow it was the same person's vision i just don't feel like i felt like it was necessary like it was a good good movie sure but like i don't think it i don't think it did anything for the the franchise I don't think it needs to exist. Like, I think they just gave, like, a pretty B-movie filmmaker who has, like, a really weird resume, by the way. He Lorenzo's the, Oil? <laughs> Babe, Babe Pig, Pig in the, in the city? city? He did He did the sequel to Babe. But didn't like, direct the first one, only produced it. He just, he, but he directed the second one. That's incredible. Yeah. And he did... He did both Happy Feet movies, which is what? An animated film about fucking penguins or something? Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon. Supposedly built out of solid gold. 
guarded by the living dead. Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. This movie's just terrible. Oh my god. Um so Wait, you don't like it, do you? let's not let's not spoil it all at once but no i hate no no this movie can be spoiled from like moment one indiana jones and the crystal skull is the 2008 sequel to indiana jones and the last crusade 1989 so you got even the temple of doom which is fucking weird is not as bad as this movie no it's not um what's so maybe we start here because we both revealed our opinions very early did you know that this movie was like this movie was fairly well regarded by critics when it came out? Yeah, I remember reading that. I, I think A.O. Scott really liked it in the Times, and then I went to see it thinking it would be like good or at least watchable. And then like, you know, four minutes in, there's like, hey, there's a really old dude in a leather jacket rolling around in a refrigerator after a nuclear bomb goes off. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not buying into this movie, guys. Like this isn't good. So what's the central cons- like what's the central synopsis for this movie chance? I it's going to be oh. hard for me to put it out there without rewriting it myself. But the central synopsis is basically the huge problem with this movie is that apparently between the European rise of the Nazis in the late 30s and 1957 when this movie is set that Indiana Jones became a patriot and a spy. And, like, was, like, super rah-rah jingoistic American. And in this movie, it's set in the 50s with the with the mild conceit that it's a sci-fi B-movie from the 50s. But his adversaries are the Russians. And we're going, uh, we're going, we're going outer space with this one. And that's what just, like, makes no sense to me about this movie, is that, like, it doesn't understand that it's, like, an Indiana Jones movie. Exactly. Like, there are certain rules to an Indiana Jones movie. Like, yes, magical realism, like, does exist. Like, yeah, you can, like, rip a dude's heart out and he can still, like, live for a couple of minutes. Or, like, God can melt your fucking face off. Kali Ma, dog. Like, whatever. What's that? Kali Ma. Yeah. So, like, but this one, like... this one you have to presuppose that like also alien life is playing a big role in our world here which kind of like undercuts the the whole tone of the previous three films it's weird don't touch anything and I think and that's that was actually I watched it with my buddy Tim he pointed out and I think smartly so that this is another classic George Lucas understanding or like misunderstanding because Lucas gets the credit on on the script. It's his story idea, even though he wrote none of the dialogue. Right. It's a oh, it's a George, Lucas misunderstanding. You were so good thirty years ago. He does not understand what people like about his movies, and so in right. Tim's words, to fundamentally change the character of Indiana Jones is absolutely idiotic because there is to- there's totally a version of this movie that works, right? Where he's reluctant, where it starts and he's old, right? And kind of puttering around and he's at the college. Right. Um, and he's reluctantly like drawn back into the fray. Not dissimilar from the third movie, but instead we get right. this It would just be like the third prologue. movie again. Yeah. That would have been fine. Right. 
Well, like, but it does follow, like, the basic Indiana Jones plot where you, like, kind of start in the middle of his last adventure, like, towards the climax, and then it, like, goes down from there. But, like, this one happens to be, like, Indiana Jones versus nuclear weapon, Indiana Jones 1, nuclear weapon 0. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that that prologue is truly bizarre to me if I think about it, because if they just start the movie where he's an old man back at the college, like, that's the start to your movie. But instead... Well, that's the weird thing about it. Like, he can barely, like, swing on, like, a ship thing, and, like, he gets beaten up pretty bad at the end of the third one. Yeah. But now, like, somehow, like, with 20 years, much like a fine red wine, he's only become better. Yeah. And, like, now he can take on, like, fusion? Like, give me a break. It was so strange to me because, you know, when I was thinking about this movie, because I did not like it when it came out in 08, the things I remember being bad about it are like, okay, Harrison Ford is too old and Shia LaBeouf is just not good in it. But re-watching it, those are like not even in the top like three to five problems with this movie. It's like, first of all, it's like horribly cynical and self-aware about who Indiana Jones is, which is self-aware in a way that like the actors clearly don't want to be there. Exactly. It's self-aware in a way that is just like, we know Indiana Jones is a theme park ride and we know that Indiana Jones is a video game. And it's not what you want out of Spielberg, whose best work is all based on wonder and mystique and a really kind of earnest feeling about what the blockbuster movie can be. Right. And I feel like that's why a lot of like recent Spielberg movies like don't do as well, because I feel like they're like way more cynical than he used to be, even in his darkest work from like the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Come on, genius. Master! Come back! What's he gonna do now? I don't think he plans that far ahead. Not only does the script not feel it's necessary, like, no one involved with the production of this film, like, felt they were doing something, like, interesting. No. Like, I feel like Karen Allen has not only, like, not been in a film, but, like, hasn't interacted (laughs) with people in about 15 years. Oh, my gosh. Like, like she was actually living in that tent and... uh... Like, she's literally the embodiment of, like, Norma Desmond, like, coming back after 30 years of not really working in any capacity. And she's like, yes, Mr. Spielberg, like, whenever you're ready, you know, kind of thing. Which sucks so much because Karen Allen is so good in the first movie. And then the other thing, Noah, that I think is really horrible about it, but I didn't realize until like an hour ten into the movie, is the... I'm not going to talk about Temple of Doom, but Raiders and Last Crusade... The pacing in those movies is actually kind of immaculate. They are never in one place for like very long. Like someone either bursts in or they need to get to the next thing or they find another clue or there's an argument that leads to a nice punchline and then they have to go to the next place. They go to a place, they destroy it, and then they move on. In this movie, they are like standing in booby-trapped grave sites going through seven to ten minutes of of exposition 
And it's yeah. almost just like, how the fuck did you forget how to make an action movie, Steven Spielberg? Like, pe- and, and then, like, like that oh. scene with the, uh, the quicksand... Yeah. Like, you, you literally want the quicksand to kill them because it's taking so long for, like, anything interesting to happen. <laughs> that was the joke that I kept making throughout the whole thing, like, how little I was enjoying this. When they were going over the waterfalls, I was just like, hey, man, what if they all just, like, died and that was the end of the movie? Like, that'd be great. Oh, my what God. What if Indiana Jones just fucking met his end crashing against the rocks? <laughs> In some really, like, inconsequential way. <laughs> it'd be fitting, I guess. Um, like he ate some he ate some bad whatever and then like just died. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so oh that's another huge problem. Um Yeah. You I hate think, everyone on screen? Yeah, because you don't like anyone in the movie. Um most specifically the guy from the departed, Ray Winstone. Can we talk about Ray Winstone? And how like I like the dynamic that he adds to this movie is like reprehensible. <laughs> exactly. Who decided that Indiana Jones needed... It's it, it's exactly it. Do you guys really make three successful Indiana Jones movies and not ever think about who he was? He doesn't like having some weird-ass sidekick who's his same age and is a patriotic... He would never be friends with, like, a dude from Southie from, like, 60 years in the future. Do we even want to dignify it by getting into, like, the plot? I, I'm, like, almost fine to move on. I feel like we've attacked it enough, and anyone who's dumb enough to see it, like, goes against our better wishes and our better advice. And so, I would just say that if you think in your there's heart... There's no of, lifeguard on duty. Swim at your own risk. <laughs> if you think in your heart of hearts, listeners, that it might be bad good, it's not. You're, you're wrong. Yeah, it's not... And again, answering the question about these, like, types of movies, again not necessary and be like i don't think it added anything spielberg and lucas talked about this a whole bunch they're like we want to make uh like dr strange love like a proto strange love sci-fi b movie but unlike yeah. unlike mad max which made it interesting they <clears throat> just they wanted to do this weird genre thing without changing or updating the style of action that they did and it just right. like it just fell the flattest of flat yeah, it was bad. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, in a Martin Scorsese picture. He's got the eye, he's got the stroke, he's got the flake. This is the best. I tell you what I liked about The Color of Money. Okay. It, this is the only movie of the three that I felt existed in the same, like, universe as the previous film interesting a cruel old universe right but then like i we can sort of jump from this but i don't necessarily mean that as a compliment (laughs) so i'll take it from from there for a second the hustler guys came out in 1961 uh it's considered sort of a neoclassic hollywood film just after the sort of golden age uh it stars paul newman um in a lot of the movies he was really good in at the time which was just like troubled beautiful introspective dangerous man in the vein of cool hand Luke. it's a role that like ryan gosling would have played today absolutely good point good point 
And then um, you got Jackie Gleason in there. Yeah. Because Jackie Gleason is basically playing what is then the color of money, like the older sort of... He's not necessarily as much of a mentor, but he's like sort of the catalyst for like the old guard. Sure, yeah. He, yeah, He's but he's very dangerous in The Hustler. Right, and if there's any parallels to be drawn between the two, like the plots of the two films, it's that like old guy teaches young guy respect right um but i would argue they're, they're a lot different uh for last right thing, oh, last i'm not thing saying I'm... that they're similar at all i'm just right. saying that that's kind of like the common denominator and it's all set in the world of pool hustling so 86 is scorsese between uh at the dead even halfway point between uh raging bull and goodfellas so he in my so reading, he's like deep in the cocaine phase. Yeah, in my reading, Noah, he is in the middle of making um, sparse and troubled arty movies and right. electric um, epic movies. Right. A- and this movie lands kind of <laughs> a little. <laughs> um... It lands awkwardly nowhere near either of those things. <laughs> yep. But in yeah, the this middle. movie pretty much baffled me because I like went in thinking like, okay, like pretty grade A caliber cast. Yes. Pretty grade A director and like production crew. Yep. Like pretty based on a movie that is considered a con- contemporary cl- or like a or like a neo classic, I'd say, mm-hmm. or even just a classic, just in general. And it like. It's none of like it's it's not it's not what I would call like good. No, I wouldn't I I wouldn't say so either. You're an incredible flake. But that's a gift. I wanna I wanna credit you quickly with the when you talked about the experiential way of watching it, you texted me the next day like, did you fall asleep? And or end up staring into your refrigerator for like an hour. And it was definitely the latter. (laughs) Right. No, I got up in the middle of it and like stared at the refrigerator and then realized that like, wait, I have a movie on the TV. There's a movie on the TV, but I like don't care about it at all. (laughs) Because like it's a series of random events that like lead up to more random events. And like the scenes are like both horribly repetitive and like also like nonsensical. Yep. Like the basic plot of the movie is that like Paul Newman, who used to be this pool hustler, fast Eddie Felson, fast Eddie Felson stakes Tom Cruise and his like sort of like con artist partner slash girlfriends to like make the big time. Yeah. But then the movie like weirdly argues that there like is no big time anymore. <laughs> and then it also argues that like maybe Eddie's like not the best teacher. And then it also argues that like, Oh, Tom Cruise is like too like uh, immature to like be anything. Yeah. In this world. And then it just like repeats itself like over and over again. And then like you wind up with that ending that just doesn't make any sense. I think that's such a good read. Um, I, I'm in a hundred percent agreement. Um, shoot, let's, let's give synopsis really fast. So the hustler is young Paul Newman. Um, kind of struggling with the same things that he ultimately struggles with in this movie. Um, like wanting to be great 
the hustle guys refers to the weird because I think this is necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. Re- refers to the weird give and take between high stakes pool players, and I suppose you could lump in cards and other other sort of games. Right. Of whatever sort of like yeah. Whatever sort of yeah. Where someone comes to the table and what's you, the other per- their opponent never really knows how good they are. But gambling is heavily involved to the point where stakes are raised and stakes are raised and stakes are raised until ultimately, right. um, you know, you never know who you never know who's taken a dive. But at the end of the day, there's some kind of climactic uh, match where um, the patsy, whether that's the person who was the original mark or the person who came into the deal, is going to fucking lose everything. But, like, as compelling as Chance's synopsis was right there, <laughs> that never really translates to, like, I mean, because it's weird. Like, there's no logic to it. Like, there's never that moment where it's like, oh, they're building up to something here. It's always like somebody's fucking up. Yeah. Like, a not... There's never that... Like, that's what makes one of these good sort of, like, slick guy con artist movies. Is like Exactly. You show them being successful at some moment. And there's really never that moment in this movie, even when they do have those moments. It's almost like by accident and then someone's like and that's how you do it kids and it's like what like you those guys just beat the shit out of you or like you just lost all your money or like what that's like that's not oh anyway and i i agree with that and i don't i'm not disagreeing with you here this was the sort of weird like headspace this movie put me into was kind of stepping outside of it in some weird way like trying to figure out what the hell was going on and I think right. maybe this movie is accurate if you're an outside observer watching who are basically, what, gambling addicts, right? Right. You're watching gambling addicts at work, and all of their decision-making is based entirely on ego and instinct. And right. like that's pretty strange, ultimately, to the sort of sober unaddicted outside observer right but like that's the thing about it is like i feel like a movie like or any story any piece of fiction has to be like there's got to be a reason for it to exist (laughs) and for this one it was like okay like this is how what this is like a weird documentary about how what like gambling addiction is really like but like with an all-star cast like pitched as like a pretty mainstream sort of drama yeah, there, there's no getting around the fact that it's pretty boring. Uh, can I talk right. about it briefly in the context of our category, which is right? A, I want to get the guy. Want to get there too? That's so. an equally bizarre. Ahead. That's an equally bizarre way to think about it, because in terms of the exigence, uh, excuse me, the exigency for Paul Newman to reprise his role as the retired right. pool player, Fast Eddie Felson. There's none for the first half of the movie. For the first half, it's basically a vehicle to watch Tom Cruise on the rise in 1986 play pool and kind of be spazzy. But, like, one of the strangest turns of the movie is the need for it to veer back in a giant overcorrect toward being a movie about Paul Newman wanting to play pool. And it's right. so strange. Yeah, because there's that moment at the beginning where he's like, I don't shoot pool anymore. Like, presumably he hasn't done it since, like, the tragic end to The Hustler. Yeah. 
And then he just starts playing pool again for no reason. Two brothers and a stranger. Okay? You got two guys that go into a bar, see? Give me two hours, they'll be building me a trophy wall in there. Huh? The Hustler is old and dark and extremely existential. Um, in so- okay, what you mean by existential is, and all those things, is half of the movie is Paul Newman playing pool and, like, losing his mind, and half of the movie is him having, like, sex with his girlfriend. <laughs> okay, but, there, but there's a lot of empty space where they stare at walls, and don't forget that he loses the first climactic pool match simply because he gets too drunk. Like, it's... Right. Yeah. What I would say is, for the last 20 years, Scorsese has made movies that are, even when I didn't like them, I'll speak for myself about, I know, I know you hate Wolf of Wall Street. I don't really like Wolf of Wall Street. But because that's a, it's a it's a despicable movie. But continue. Because but the all of his movies are brimming with some kind of electricity, even if it's a canned electricity, even if it's like an a crazy like over the top electricity, like it's supposed to hit with you. Um, and this movie, right. this movie is vibrating on some sort of like like a low dog whistle that no one can hear. It's not right, a, but, but there it's is not, something amiss about it. Exactly. It's not an empty, it's not a movie that knows that it's empty. There is some weird energy to it that I doubt that anyone can really pick up on. So you don't have any access point at all. And then like, him being like, Paul, come here, Paul. Like, okay, when we do this scene, like, I only want to be able to, like, understand 25% of what you're saying. <laughs> yep. And then if yeah. you need to take some, like, improv asides at any point, just feel free to do so. But again, don't forget that 25%. Yeah. Like, that's that's all we what's all we need, and I guarantee you an Oscar. And he won him one, but like this performance is ridiculous. Get your hands off your daughter there and pay attention. You just might learn something here today. I'll change my teeth. You change your goddamn diapers. Hey, we got a game going here. Really? What are you playing for? So you have this like lunatic on screen, but like the weird majesty of this movie is that everyone treats him like this is normal behavior. Yeah. So, and then I feel like Tom Cruise tries to, like, match the insanity, and he's just, like, ripping off, like, you know, like, like, uh, like guardrails for, like, stairs and stuff, and he, like, breaking things <laughs> and, like, spinning things around his head, and it's like, Tom, we're going to do the scene now. And he's like, no, the choice I'm making for this scene is I'm going to do it all in grunts while playing this video game. Yeah. I hope you don't hate and... this. I hope you don't hate this theory. Something I found really interesting about this movie is that I actually think it's kind of a un- it's a unique Tom Cruise role because he's playing right. he's playing energetic and he's playing attractive and he's playing leading but he's the least self-assured of the main three characters I actually think it's kind of a Wahlberg role Oh interesting he's dumber than everyone else in the movie he is dumber, and he's, like, very controllable by the other two, and they kind of play each other off. I would also like to point out, if you're talking about the 
major qualities of Scorsese movies between a person who made movies in the 70s and then made movies for the preceding 25 years that were about the 70s, it was horrible to hear him make a movie set in the 80s with music from the 80s because the music cues were so bad. They're really, like, they're really, like, they're intrusive. Yeah. Horrible. They like take you. They take you out of the film to think for like at least five seconds. What is this music? <laughs> oh, so much staring into the fridge. Um, so, so what's your, what's what was your, your what is your rating? You go first. I don't feel. I don't. I'm not gonna. I don't want to fight about this. I don't feel so strongly about it. But I think I'll give it a good bad with the with a hard bad on the bad because it was unwatchable. You think it's good bad. I think it was. You think it's like a fundamentally a good movie? Not fundamentally. I think the performances were pretty good. Um, I think the script. If good, it, bad. Like I would have called like the performances so bad that they are like watchable in an ironic way, thus maybe potentially justifying bad good. Oh, okay. But good, bad is like. That's like Schindler's List. You're putting this movie in the same category as Schindler's List. <laughs> I'm not saying that. That's just one example from that category. I think that the performances were good, and I think that the script was not horrible, <laughs> like in scene. Um, but like, I'm I listen. You this... only heard a quarter of the dialogue. <laughs> How do you know the script was be- was good? This movie was bizarre, and I am not offended if it turned us both around on our heads and back again, okay? Um, Fine. I'm, I'm going to give it a soft good and a very hard bad, because, like, this movie is difficult, difficult to get through. Right. You're going to give it a bad bad. I'm not. You're not? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb... And introduce a new rating category. Oh, come on. I think this movie, and it happened with both The Hustler and The Color of Money, this movie is incredible sleepy TV. (laughs) I fell asleep like a baby watching both of these films the first time I tried to get through them and slept a beautiful eight hours. And so I think the only redeeming part of this, these two films are the fact that they will put you to sleep and it'll be a beautiful sleep. So, I, but, but if I, I had to, if I had to stick to the initial four, I would hundred percent not lose any sleep over calling this terrible, t- reprehensible film a bad, bad. <laughs> reprehensible is really strong, but, um, no, it's not bad. It's just it's 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 like a waste. It's like a stupid movie that clearly nobody put a lot of effort into. Yeah. Except for Paul Newman, but his efforts were totally misguided. <laughs> his efforts were unmiked. <laughs> uh, his efforts were unmiked by a director who was just doing a ton of cocaine at the time. So what did we learn this week, Chance? I think we learned this week that uh, making unnecessary reboots is a risky proposition. And and 
I don't think ever really worth it. But this, I want to like remind our viewers though, or listeners rather, that um, this will not keep us from reviewing Jurassic World, even though we've done seemingly unnecessary sequels this week. We are we going to do that, aren't we? We're going to review 2, 3, and World. I'm so excited, dude. This has been a pleasure. I think uh, all of you should follow us on Twitter at BeRealGuys and email us at BeRealGuys at gmail.com. Otherwise, this is Noah Ballard signing off. It's been a real pleasure, Chance. Great catching up with you. Thanks, buddy. It's been fun. Thanks for listening, everyone.